Our Predict the Career series continues with some of the dominant skill players of the 2010s. Welcome to the Goal Line Fade Podcast. This is a pretty fun group to talk about. Just thinking about the fact that, you know, we're talking about, I mean, a couple receivers that are going to be going down in the, the history books among the top in the league, um, like in the history of the league when they retire. We're talking about some pretty dominant tight ends. Um, thinking about over the course of the NFL history, who the most dominant tight ends have been. Like, there's a couple on this list that are pretty worthy of being in that conversation. And then talking about a couple of running backs as well that, you know, had some pretty amazing seasons, you know, could have been considered in the top 10 at points in their career. Um, and yeah, very interesting names on this list today, Daniel. But I have to say, Larry Fitzgerald feels like the perfect place to start. Yeah, he's had such a, a strange career arc, and it's almost weird for me as a as a football fan who started watching in 2011 um, to think of him as this big dominant player because kind of when I started watching was when his drop-off began. In 2011, he had a big year, but then 12, 13, 14, he was kind of whatever. And then all of a sudden, 2015 through 2017, he just lit up and had three incredible seasons again before again, kind of now dropping off to more um, number two, number three kind of uh, statistics. So I don't know, like you said, though, it does feel right to talk about him. Larry Fitzgerald is, I would say, probably one of the most respected players in NFL history. I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't like Larry Fitzgerald. He's the type of guy who you just want to root for. And now coming to the end of his career, committed to one team for uh, 15 seasons now, 16 seasons now is so crazy. And I think realistically with the shot at maybe with, you know, everything falling into place, making a Super Bowl run in this last year of his career. That's interesting. Are you tipping your hand that you think he only plays one more year then? I mean, I think he's always, because if I remember correctly, he did just sign a one-year deal again. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. He has for a couple of years, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I have a feeling, and I mean, you know what, he's still putting up, numbers like a player who should be on a roster but um, unless his salary wants continue to drop he will not be on a roster for much longer with his production but uh, yeah I can't see him playing for too much longer and if he does get a ring I think he's he's gone so fast yeah I would agree but I I don't quite agree with your statement about his production like last year he had 75 catches 80 or 804 yards four touchdowns um, as far as I'm concerned Larry Fitzgerald, if you had to paint what his legacy would be, I think he's by far one of the most consistent players in NFL history, just consistently putting up, you know, not the most dominant numbers, but just that that consistent, like close to a thousand yards per season. And there were actually four seasons where he had over 1400 yards, which was something I did not realize about him, you know, previously, like he has had dominant seasons. And so, um, it's interesting to talk about Larry Fitzgerald because you don't think of him as that dominant receiver. Like to your point, it's been a while since he's had, you know, some of those more incredible seasons. Like I think back to when him and Anquan Bolden played together. Um, those are some pretty solid years because those two were just unreal together. Um, but he, he really hasn't had all that many great quarterbacks, especially down the stretch in his career. So you think about now the fact that he has Kyler Murray. I'm, I'm feeling some optimism for Larry Fitzgerald. I feel that he could, put up two more 500-yard seasons potentially. Um, and you know what? He's 171 receptions behind Jerry Rice for the most career receptions in NFL history. And there's part of me that actually believes that he, he could do it. Um, but if he only plays one season, like obviously that won't be the case. But it would be neat to see him actually take that record from Rice. Because he won't take the yardage record, but see him take the catches, I wouldn't feel too bad about that. Yeah, that would be probably the only receiving record that will ever be held by anyone not named Jerry Rice. Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, Fitz has just been, he's been doing it for a long time, um, a lot longer than most receivers managed to. And I don't know if I'd agree with your term consistency. I would say he has a very low floor. Um, his stats have been very inconsistent, going from anywhere, yeah, like 700, 800 yards all the way up to 1,300, 1,400 yards. Um, touchdown numbers everywhere from two up to 13 um, even reception numbers ranging from, from 58 up to 109 and 
Like he, he has really, really different seasons, but he just has an incredibly low floor every year, or at least has to this point. Um, I actually admittedly hadn't put enough thought into the fact that he hasn't had a really great QB there in a while. And it, it would be kind of fun if, you know, he played two, like if he could somehow manage three more seasons and, you know, put up 50 to 60 catches a season, which would be hard with DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk there also. But um, yeah, I would like to see him break Jerry Rice's record, have a guy kind of in the era of football that I've gotten to watch take that. It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that's exactly it. Like to your point about the quarterbacks that he's played with, I think that's why I'm impressed with his consistent numbers. Cause there's, you know, a lot of receivers that would be very impacted by their quarterbacks you know, not being the best in the league. You think about the years where he had Drew Stanton as his quarterback. Um, oh, who else was there? Carson Palmer was there. You know, some good years, some bad years. Who else? I'm trying to think back. Matt Leinert was his quarterback at times in his career. So, you know, he's he would have had Kurt Warner for a little bit. but Oh, yeah. Well, that's where his dominant years came. Absolutely. Because the year they made it to the Super Bowl, Warren was there. That's right. So, I mean, he's had some great quarterbacks, some pretty terrible quarterbacks and so that's why I think his numbers are fairly consistent I mean a guy who puts up 700 yards per year and like never drops below 700 yards even to the point where he's going to be 37 so if he can continue doing that I, I don't think you can be too disappointed so um, based on that as far as I'm concerned he'll be a first ballot hall of famer especially because he's in the top I think he's second for yards second for receptions like when you're in the record book that deep it just it, it makes sense that you're a first ballot Hall of Famer in my mind. Um, and yeah, I, I think that the consistency label um, or the old reliable label is <laughs> is what sticks in my mind when I think of Larry Fitzgerald and like would love to see him win a Super Bowl because you said like he's, uh, he's just one of those lovable guys that, you know, you want to see him succeed. Yeah, absolutely. So from him, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, who has been yeah, this like model of consistency, absolutely lovable player um, who has had his dominant years to another receiver who is, yeah, getting up in age already at 31 years old, but also one who I think probably not to the extent people realize could throw his hat in the ring as being one of the best receivers to ever play professional football. And that's Julio Jones now. Um, gosh, I... I love Julio Jones. He's been on a lot of fantasy teams that I've had. And as anyone who plays fantasy knows, that kind of endears you to a player very quickly. But um, gosh, you look at his numbers and minus his 2013 season where he missed 11 games with injury. um, His numbers are crazy. Even in seasons where he maybe missed a game or two, his numbers are crazy. Like Julio Jones, probably uh, Antonio Brown would also be in discussion minus his little crazy spell. But Julio Jones might be the best receiver of this era. I, I honestly wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, like to your point, like there's guys like Antonio Brown and a few others that would throw their hat in the ring. But um, actually in my notes here, what I have is quite honestly, I believe he's one of the most dominant players of all time. And yeah. he's sort of done it relatively under the radar. Like everyone knows Julio Jones. Everyone knows how good he is. Because he's quiet. He will, just he's like quiet. Larry Fitzgerald, he's quiet. He's classy. But he still has dominant games. I remember where he had, I mean, there's been a couple games over the past couple of years where he's had over 200 yards in a game. And that just blows my mind as a receiver to have that many um, or to have, you know, 200 yards games. That's just not something you see too often. He's had three seasons over 1,500 yards. And if you think about where he is in his career, he's only played, you know, nine seasons at this point in time. He's 25th in receiving yards in NFL history. Um, and then he's 11 yards or just under 11 sorry, just under 11,000 yards away from Jerry Rice um, for the career yardage total. So, um, or receiving yards total, I mean. So there's part of me that really thinks that Julio could surpass that uh, Jerry Rice number. Obviously, that's, you know, been deemed one of those records that no one's ever going to break. But just Julio Jones just doesn't have seemed to ever have hit a drop-off in his career. Like, I mean the injuries that you mentioned, of course, but uh, there's part of me that believes that he could consistently produce four or five more amazing seasons. And uh, 
yeah, like actually trying to think that through logically, that sounds weird to picture a 35 year old receiver just dominating the NFL still. But there's part of me that believes that it could happen with him. I mean, Jerry Rice did it. It's not outside of their own possibility. And I mean, right, even when you look at, um, I mean, you want to talk about a guy with a low floor when your worst season that wasn't shortened by injury and wasn't your rookie year is just under 1,200 yards and 10 touchdowns. Like, man, Julio Jones is one of those players who I think we need to realize that, um, I mean, his like he's now, yeah, going, he's going to be 31 during the season, I believe. No, he is 31 now. Um, like, he's the type of guy who it's a privilege to watch him play. I think back to when the Patriots played the Falcons in the Super Bowl, um, and he just made that crazy catch on the sideline, or just like any highlight from his career. Um, yeah, he's going to be the type of player that we're going to look back on and be like, dang, like I got to watch Julio Jones play. Um, and I do, I think back, I, I say this so often because it is a very meaningful thing for me, but, but 2011 was the first draft that I watched, and I remember Atlanta jumping a crazy amount of spots, um, and people were like, like, oh, to jump that high for a receiver, like they still had Roddy White, who was getting older, but was still really good, and there were some questions as to why they do that, and I think now, I mean, that trade is worth it a thousand times over for this player. Yeah, completely agree. Um, looking at his numbers the other day, it's just, uh, it puts into perspective how good he really is. And sometimes being in Atlanta, where they haven't always been a winning team, um, you discredit him a little bit, or you just, you don't give him the praise that I think he deserves. But to your point, I think, like, he is a generational talent, and we need to acknowledge him like that. And so, um, where I struggle, though, is, you know, I, I could see him breaking some of Jerry Rice's records, but to me, it's, it feels very hard to say that there will ever be a receiver greater than Jerry Rice. And so, I guess, first of all, a question for you. Do you ever think that we'll consider Julio Jones to be greater than Jerry Rice? And if not, would you put him above Randy Moss and above Terrell Owens? Or where, where would he stack up in, this term, in terms of all-time greats? I mean... I've, I think I've referenced this a few, few times. If you go on pro football reference um, and you scroll down on a player page, they have a little section that's labeled players whose career was of similar quality and shape. So it looks at um, each player at each year mark in their career and who kind of has similar stat lines looking back um, kind of in those years. And you look down in, uh, in Julio's career and you see that Jerry Rice's name pops up a lot when you look at these yearly markers um, and and if he manages to do this consistently if he does the mind-blowing thing that jerry rice is able to do and keep up even a decent level of production right a thousand yards a season uh 60 70 catches seven eight touchdowns and julio is not just a speed guy like julio is a really good route runner he's really good in the open field he has mad hands um and of course he's Great bad size. but yeah, yeah um so he's the type of guy who could do it. Do I think that, that he very well could be um, better than Randy Moss and Terrell Owens? Oh, yeah. I think if, if Julio does this, even for another three or four years, he has to probably just be considered the second best player to ever do it at the position. If he does this for another eight, nine years, which, like, again, that's a crazy thing, but he might be able to rival Jerry Rice in that discussion, which people never thought would happen. Yeah, and you know what? Um, to go eight or nine years, I think... I'm not quite confident to say that. What I will say is I could predict him going about, or I could see him going six to seven more years with three or four of those um, being actually, you know, dominant years that we can expect from, from Julio Jones and that we have seen in the past. So to your point, um, I think it like definitely think that by the end of his career, we'll, we'll acknowledge him as better than Randy Moss and Terrell Owens um, and some of the other receiver greats. But I, there's just, there's part of me that just, you know, you know how everyone was, um, you know, so hesitant to give anyone the title of, you know, best quarterback of all time above Joe Montana. For Jerry Rice, I think the bar is even higher. And like you look at how unattainable his records are and just everything he did, how dominant he was. Um, it's it's unfathomable to me to think that anybody else could be in that conversation. And so I think I have a little bit more of a, you know, a, <laughs> a higher bar that Julio Jones has to get to before I'll put him in that conversation yet. But I, I completely agree with you. I think he's, um, you know, if he has the career trajectory that he's on right now, he's guaranteed to at least be 
the second best of all time at his position. And I think the only thing that holds me back from saying like, oh, he like was better than or is better than, than T.O. or um, or Randy Moss was is, is just the ability to score. Like it's actually nuts how many touchdowns Randy Moss and Terrell Owens put up. Julio, the most he's had in a season has been, what was it, 10, I think. Like, Randy Moss and Terrell Owens, 10 was a normal season for those two. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the only big, like Julio puts up yards and catches better than those two ever did, but um, it's, it's, it's the scoring there that'll be the big thing long-term uh, that'll maybe keep those two above him just because touchdowns are so, so, so important. But yeah, easily one of the best receivers to ever do it, but no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so <laughs> kind of a weird transition here between a receiver that we're you know, talking about as potentially one of the, the game's best of all time. And then we're transitioning to a tight end that's, I wouldn't say is quite in that conversation for his own position group, but um, what do you personally think about Jason Witten? He feels like one of those names that we have to include on this list because, you know, he's very well close to the end of his career. He already retired and came back now um, playing for the Raiders this year. When it comes to some of these tight end names that we have on this list here, how do you look at Jason Witten in comparison to the rest of these guys? Jason Witten is, is a guy who um, cannot and should not be judged by statistics alone. Um, yeah, you know, he's had some, some really, really impressive seasons as a receiver, especially in an era where tight ends um, were still kind of like breaking out as as a consistent thing that didn't fully happen until Gronk, but right. You had Tony Gonzalez, you had, um, Oh my gosh, Antonio Gates. There we go. And Jason Witten. It was kind of those three whose names were, were the big tight ends in the early two thousands and coming into the early 2010s. So the big thing with Witten, I think that differentiates him. And, and I'm not saying that Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez weren't like this, but for Witten, it was his leadership, right? That, that so often was what was talked about. Was Jason Witten was a leader in the locker room, um, and he led on the field, right? There's that very famous highlight of him where um, he, he caught the ball, had his helmet ripped off, and he just kept <laughs> barreling down the field like nothing. Like, he loved the game. He was gritty. He was a really, really, really solid blocker. Um, and was, like, when, honestly, when I looked at his stats today, I was kind of shocked at some of the seasons he had. Um, you know, 96 catches, 11.45, seven touchdowns. Like, that was a Gronk stat line back in 2007. 2012, 110 catches, uh, 1,000 yards, three touchdowns. He probably didn't score as much as you'd expect a tight end to, but um, maybe the best safety blanket ever at tight end. Yeah, I would agree. And <laughs> to be honest, whenever I picture Jason Witten, I picture him and Tony Romo more than any other, you know, quarterback tight end connection um, in his time in the league anyways. And yeah, I, to be quite honest, I picture him as that safety blanket. So to see some of his numbers, to your point, was something that, um, you know, I, I had completely forgotten about. He had four seasons over a thousand yards. And maybe that's not super impressive for a tight end. But I think for him, like he's never been a fast guy, never been, um, you know, particularly skilled in any way. But he's just good at what he does. He catches the football when he needs to. He catches the ball on third down. He he provides that safety blanket for, you know, Tony Romo or at times um, later in his career, Dak Prescott. And I think he does a really good job of playing that role for the Cowboys. Um, I'm interested to see, though, now that he's in Oakland, I'm curious to see what role he's going to play there. And so I feel like this is going to be his last year. But maybe like the leadership that you're talking about is is how his role is going to evolve there um you know is it going to be helping darren waller just you know round out his skill set and uh you know maybe become a better blocker and learn how to take on some of those safety blanket skills or i'm curious what the relationship between those two are going to be or, or what his role is generally going to be in oakland yeah he's the type of guy who i imagine once he retires could end up straight into coaching because let's be honest him being in the booth was not really a good thing for anybody. So who is worth between him and Booger? Oh gosh, no, I don't. I don't even want to think about that right now. Um, <laughs> but no, he. Uh, yeah, I, I hope that he's there and ready to mentor a young tight end because Darren Waller 
is kind of part of this newer breed where they're not super strong blockers. They're better receivers. And if Waller can pick up some of Witten's grit and just his willingness and ability to block, that would be huge for that tight end early in his career here. Yeah, I would agree. I, I, I think I caught myself. I'm pretty sure I said Oakland Raiders. So I'll take that back and say Las Vegas Raiders. And that clearly has <laughs> not sunk in yet. But <laughs> even in my notes, I wrote Oakland. That's funny. But yeah, I completely agree. Um, that grit is something that if he could translate that to Waller, that would definitely be uh, a valuable skill set. Um, or, you know, just a valuable role to have in the locker room, to your point. And uh, yeah, who knows? That Raiders team is is quite strong. So, you know, young, strong, Showed a little bit of promise last year. So if he can help provide that leadership, maybe that alone will be the, the role that he plays there. But um, what do you think as far as his Hall of Fame chances? This is where I think the, the fun discussion is for him specifically. The other tight ends, we can talk about their career a little bit more. But, you know, saying that Jason Witten is in his last year, I don't think is much of a stretch. So I'm curious, what does his, uh, what are his chances of making the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I think I think he's got to be in. Um, you look at the length of his career, the consistency over that length. Again, his ability as a blocker, his leadership, the fact that he never really, no one ever said anything bad about Jason Witten. Um, he just, and, and funnily enough, right, I think back to like 2010, 2011, uh, when he was still, he would have been in his late 20s, and you kind of already, he just felt like this old man on the football field just kind of doing his thing. Um, so, yeah, I think he's almost certainly a, a Hall of Famer. Um, the fact that he was a Dallas Cowboy for almost his entire career probably makes him a first ballot Hall of Famer because if you played in Dallas or San Francisco, you tend to just get a little bit of extra consideration on going into the Hall. Um, but where do you lean with that? I think he will be a Hall of Famer. To your point, I mean, being a tight end, um, like he was sort of at the rise of the tight end position, right? Like he was sort of at um, the point when tight ends, tight ends became relevant in the passing game. And so obviously there have been guys over the years that played that role. I think back to uh, Kellen Winslow Sr., um, thinking back to uh, Shannon Sharp as well. So there's obviously been guys like that in the past. But I think... You know, he's he, he uh, his career peaked essentially in that era when tight ends were quite valuable to the game, and so we're seeing that now, right? Like there's lots of tight ends in the league that are very dominant players and sort of a modified role of a receiver. So um, I think he will go in just because of that, right? He was sort of part of the transformation of the tight end position and uh, the dominating nature of the tri- tight end position. So I think it's important that he goes in for the history of the NFL. Like he is. A big part of that and so i wouldn't say first ballot hall of famer but i mean i could see him within his first three tries making it into the hall of fame so then we have two more tight ends on this list and i think um, they're kind of interesting because the first one we want to talk about obviously uh, we'll have a little bit of a bias headed towards him and the second one um, almost feels like his career was able to take off because of the first one. So starting with Rob Gronkowski, I think I kind of just have one big comment I want to make about him. And that's that Gronk is probably the weirdest combination in NFL history of um, surefire first ballot hall of famer and an incredible what if, when you look back on his career um, and the seasons that, that Gronk was healthy he was unstoppable. I think that's something everyone saw. Literally, if the ball was in remote vicinity to him, he was going to catch it. He was going to break a couple of tackles and he was probably going to go and score on you. Um, But injuries absolutely plagued him. And during his entire career, he managed to start 16 games one time. Um, And that actually does raise some interesting questions because if it's all about just the sheer domination that a player was able to lay out, then, then Gronk, for his peaks, is the best tight end to ever play the game. Um, but man, even if he had only played 2010 to 2018 and isn't coming back to try again right now, and he managed to just play 16 games every season, he would have some of the most insane tight end stats we would ever see. 
Yeah, and I, I completely agree, right? Like injuries damaged him so much and it wasn't just one or two things, right? Like he's he's a big guy. If you chop him down at the knees, like that's damaging. If uh, I think about the times that he was, oh, what was it? He had his arm injury. He had back injuries as well. Like Blue you hit him in certain ways. Yeah, like you hit him in certain ways and just the way his body folds because of how big he is, right? Like that hurts. <laughs> and so um, I completely agree with you that it's definitely a what if. It's it's so weird to say that with the nature of how dominant he still was during his career. And I mean, still could be now that he's back, but um, completely agree. It's, uh, it's a, a weird combination of those two things. And the, the hang up for me was, I always wanted to call him the greatest tight end of all time. But I felt like I had to look at Tony Gonzalez stats first. And so Tony Gonzalez was pretty good, you know, highly regarded as one of the greatest tight ends ever. Um, He was, you know, the main figure that, I mean, I started watching anyways, that was dominant tight ends in the NFL. There was Antonio Gates probably in there as well, and maybe a little bit Jason Witten. But I think Tony Gonzalez was the most dominant of all three. And so looking at their stats side to side, Rob Gronkowski's stats have actually been um, far more impressive in the time that he's played. Obviously, Gonzalez was pretty consistent over his career, and I think he played 15 or 16 seasons. So it's not quite apples to apples. But still, I was very impressed with Rob Gronkowski's stats. Five out of nine years, um, he had 10-plus receiving touchdowns as a tight end, which is pretty damn impressive when you look at other tight ends in NFL history. Um, As far as I'm concerned just taking into consideration the numbers, taking into consideration some of the plays he made, um, how much fear he struck into defenses, right? If you look at all the games where Rob Gronkowski didn't have a great game, but they doubled him and the success that other players on the field had, like he was one of those guys that would keep defenses awake the night before a game. And so I think just for that alone, he's going to be a first ballot hall of famer is going to go down as the, the top tight end of all time. And, um, I mean, maybe some other guys will eventually replace him, but he sort of feels to me like this era's best tight end and, well, obviously the, the best tight end of all time as well. Yeah, Gronk just had such incredibly high highs that it's impossible. Uh, it feels like to even really compare him to a lot of other players. I think, I mean, George Kittle right now is doing things that um, have to put the league on notice. We might currently be seeing the rise of the best tight end to ever play the game in George Kittle and that Gronk mold of um, just as good a blocker as he is a receiver and just as dangerous with the ball in his hands as he is as as blocking for other players. But um, another player who, I mean, like I said, kind of maybe owes a bit of his career to the, uh, the emergence of Rob Gronkowski in his first couple of seasons, being able to get drafted where he did. And now really having been one of the best tight ends since he came into the league. And that's Travis Kelsey, who, Goodness, I have no idea how is turning 31 during the season already. Yeah, that's a bit shocking because I don't think he's played all that many years and he's already 31, which is is crazy to think that him and Gronk will be the same age during this year. Um, or They are the same age, I mean, but yeah, I completely agree. Four straight seasons with over a thousand yards makes it very, very impressive for him. Um, the fact that he plays with Patrick Mahomes is a very good reason to believe that he'll continue to have some pretty amazing success down the stretch of his career. Um, yeah, if if he can stay healthy, if he can play at the level that he is right now, um, I would have a hard time saying that I don't see him passing Rob Gronkowski as the greatest tight end ever. Um, the, the final stretch of their careers will be quite interesting to watch because I truly do think the two of them are fighting for that that title of greatest tight end ever. Maybe that's a bit early for Travis Kelsey, but it feels like he's worthy of being in that conversation. I kind of say the same thing for Kelsey, as I said, for the uh, the Julio Jones versus Moss and Torello and thing. And it's the scoring that is still the big thing, even in, um, especially now, an incredibly high-octane offense. Yes, with some mouths to feed, but with the best quarterback in the NFL right now, Travis Kelsey still has only managed to break 10 touchdowns once. And that, to me, that, that's an ugly stat for a tight end. Tight ends are supposed to be your, your gritty pound the ball or like pass the ball at the two or three yard line for the easy touchdown. And he just 
isn't amazing at that and his scoring totals are low and I think that really really harms his argument for being the best to ever do it I guess that's fair um just because that's that's so important right you think of Antonio Gates and the first thing you think of is red zone target um Tony Gonzalez that's the first thing that pops in my mind as well as um visuals of a, a few of his touchdown grabs where back of the end zone made a catch from Matt Ryan or um you know, the, the number of highlights he had when he was a chief, which it's still hard to believe he was a chief before he was a Falcon. But um, anyways, yeah, no, I agree with you, right? Like as a tight end, that's that's so important. And as a receiver, it's important too. But um, if a running back takes away carries and scores touchdowns, that's fine as a receiver. It doesn't affect your stats too much. But as a tight end, like your integral part of that role is to be the guy that goes over the middle, the guys that, you know, that puts their body on the line or that helps that team get into the end zone no matter what. And so agreed, like it, it is a, a bit of a, a mark if they don't have too many, too many touchdowns there. But um, I would expect that number to increase for Travis Kelsey in the future. Like he had a decent amount of touchdowns over the course of the, these past playoffs. Didn't he? Didn't he have just two against Houston and alone? Never mind the rest of the games. Yeah. Admittedly, I don't think I pay enough attention to playoff stats as I, should when trying to rank these players but um, regular season to me is always kind of the, the big thing because you're I mean that's how you can compare to everybody even those who don't make the playoffs every year but I do understand for that sure. argument too for sure yeah no I get that so um these two are interesting though because I think that like to your point Travis Kelsey sort of owes um part of the the role of a dominant tight end to Rob Gronkowski but at the same time I mean the, the competitions will always be fun, right? Like Chiefs fans saying that Travis Kelsey's been better or always has been better. Patriots fans obviously saying that Gronkowski's always been better. It's kind of an interesting debate that I think will continue on for a couple more years if these guys continue to play. Like, I don't think Gronk plays past the time when Brady retires, but for Kelsey, if he can play, you know, three or four more dominant years with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, like sky's the limit. Sure, they have a lot of mouths to feed in that offense, but if he can continue playing the role he is right now, like, whew, he's got uh, got a lot of potential to keep putting up some dominant numbers. Yeah, and he'll just have George Kittle to fend off for the best tight end in the league title. But I mean, Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey are more similar players. George Kittle, to me, feels like a, a different playing style. Like, he's more similar to Ertz, I'd say, than Kelsey. Ah, I don't know. Like Kittle, I mean, I guess in terms of, I don't know. When I look at Kittle play, I see what I saw in a young Gronk, but that might change as his career goes on. That's true. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could be talking about him in the future as another one of these skill position guys um, that will continue to dominate into the 2020s. But um, I think it would be hard to talk about dominant skill players of the 2010s without also talking about uh, a couple running backs that are on our list today too. And so the first name being Adrian Peterson, I just, I, I don't know what it is, but I love talking about Adrian Peterson and thinking about his career, especially when he was with the Vikings, like the later half of his career hasn't been too fun and he really has dropped off a cliff. It's felt like, but I mean, I remember those Viking seasons where he ran for over 2000 yards. I was actually at that game. He almost broke uh, the record for most uh, most rushing yards in a season, and so like Adrian Peterson was just so dominant in the 2010s. Like to be a running back and to win the MVP award is incredible. Um, and then Frank Gore is another name that's that's interesting to look at on this list too. Not necessarily the same level of dominance as AP, but just unreal to see that he's still playing at 37 and, and putting up. You know, some okay numbers for being that old as a running back in today's NFL. Yeah, he really was um, the running back in the league for um, essentially a decade, a little bit less than a decade. Uh, just, I mean, every time he touched the ball, right, his, his nickname um, for, for a while was all day because anytime he touched it, he could take it. He had a season where he averaged six yards a carry, which is so stupid. You can hand the ball off to him every single play at six yards a carry and never have to worry about a thing. Um, Peterson really had some seasons where he felt like he could be the best running back to ever do it. 
Um, obviously, there's probably a lot more competition at that position than there is at any other for kind of that top spot. But besides, yeah, like you almost want to ignore everything since 2016, um, minus maybe last year where he managed to, to break, or like two years ago, I guess, already, where he broke the 1,000-yard mark and got seven touchdowns as the starting running back for the Redskins. But overall, yeah, Adrian Peterson is easy, easy, easy first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, no matter, like, again, he could retire tomorrow. He could have retired three years ago and, and would have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. But um, he keeps wanting to grind. Um, and I get that. Like, he loves the game so much. And it's, it's been really, really fun to get to watch, especially, yeah, the, the 2012 and the 2015 seasons from him where it just looked like he was playing a different game than everybody else. Yeah, well, well, exactly right. And I still remember the all-day nickname. And like, there's just some stats that pop out to you when you're looking at a guy like this. And I think he has a single-game rushing record with like 296 yards against the Chargers. And I, I want to say 07. Thinking about that, like the fact that he put up, no, 07 doesn't sound right. Anyways, I can't remember what year that was. But the fact that he put up 296 yards in one game. Um, I just like he, he's going to be one of those guys that what you said about Julio earlier we're going to look back at his career and say like I have the chance to watch Adrian Peterson play in his prime and I think that that's truly special and I think the one <laughs> the one thing that sort of pisses me off about running backs to be quite honest and I mean there's a couple other position groups that you'll notice this too but sometimes the longevity affects the the way that players are evaluated you know so adrian peterson one of the greatest running backs of all time currently he sits as fifth in career rushing yards and frank Gore currently sits at third as far as i'm concerned like it's great if a player has the longevity in their career that they can continue to put up numbers as they get older but there's just sometimes that the numbers don't do justice to how great a player is adrian peterson feels like that one of those guys to me you know um, thinking about him coming out of Oklahoma, the way that he ran the ball early in his years with the Vikings, and even the way he's running the ball now with the Redskins. Like, he's not nearly as good as he once was, but still, he's just such a dominant player for his age. And um, probably one of my favorite running backs of all time, to be quite honest. So um, I'm quite biased in this, but I completely agree. First ballot Hall of Famer, I don't think there's any doubt. And in my mind, he'll go down as the best from this era. It's also just one last thing to say about him. Um, you know, generally you think of, of rookie players, you know, okay. So if I was to, to tell you that a running back got drafted in the first round, pretty high in the first round, and, and they were a well thought of talent. Um, and I asked you to predict their rookie stats, you'd probably be saying like, oh, you know, he might hit a thousand yards, probably get like seven, eight, nine touchdowns, maybe. Um, Adrian Peterson is a rookie played in 14 games, only started nine of them, had 1,341 yards and 12 touchdowns. Like, he just <laughs> he came in as a rookie and announced, like, I am going to be the next decade of NFL running backs. And that is just, that's a crazy stat to me, to look at that. Um, and that really just helps you to understand just how dominant he really was early on, in, or really uh, up until 2015. I'm curious who was in that backfield. There was like Chester Taylor and oh, I'm curious to look back and see who would have been taking carries away from him that season. Uh, if you give me I mean, 15 seconds, I can probably uh, grab yeah, that. Yeah, let's look this up. So, okay, Minnesota Vikings 2-7. They finished 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, Yeah, Chester Taylor started eight games that season at running back. Um, and he had 157 carries for 844 yards. Why would you ever? Oh, wow. Actually, that's still a really good yards per attempt. Um, dang, that was quite the backfield. And Tavares Jackson was, uh, was playing QB, so he was getting some carries as well. But, man, they, uh, if they had just fed Adrian Peterson, he would have had maybe the best rookie year at any position ever. Yeah, no kidding. I... I... I did not remember how, how dominant he was his rookie year, but um, normally I'm not good with remembering seasons, remembering numbers or different things like that. Like you have a far better sense of that than I do. Um, but I was actually right. I had to look it up, but it was 2007. 
that he, uh, he had 296 yards against the Chargers. So just needed to right. call out the fact that I actually did remember that. And that, that, I mean, that definitely one of my boosted favorite, that favorite AP games of all time. What's that? That definitely boosted that 13, like that got him up to that 1341 and only 14 games. But still, that, that's just insane. Well, it's just incredible. You think about that. And I mean, some of the running backs that we talk about in today's era that are just like, again, like unreal players, dominant players, none of them have had those type of seasons before or would be able to put up those kind of numbers in that same situation. So um, I don't think AP is celebrated for how good of a player he was because he has sort of had this decline later in his career. But as far as I'm concerned, by far the most dominant running back of the 2010s and um, yeah, should be considered as one of the best running backs of all time. And I mean, like, obviously that's a a heated debate when you think about Barry Sanders and um, Walter Payton and a couple others in that same conversation, but Definitely deserves to have his name in the ring there. And so then, so then here's a really, yeah. Well, yeah, here's a really clunky transition over to Frank Gore, just to make my point. So Frank Gore, as a rookie, also played in 14 games, had 608 yards. So there you go. There's some reference. That's, that's you know, a normal running back, rookie running back, playing even in a split backfield. Um, AP was just a beast. But, yeah, we do want to talk about Frank Gore. And, Adam, I know that you um, – you're a much bigger fan of Frank Gore than I am, so I'll let you open this one up. Well, I think because of the fact that he is, you know, still playing this long in his career. And so, well, I, I, I'm critical of the fact that, like, okay, so sure, he's, he's put up better numbers in his career than Adrian Peterson. I, I still believe Adrian Peterson is the better player. But, like, a lot of respect is owed to a guy like Frank Gore who's been able to be as... Um, you know, durable over the course of his career and is continuing to put up numbers at the age of 36 and is going into this season um, as a 37-year-old, you know? So I think a lot of credit has to be given for to him for being as consistent as he has been over the course of his career. And when I say consistent, I mean like, you know, consistently healthy, consistently, you know, playing a valuable role in the backfield, whether that's been um, as a starter or whether that's been, you know, taking carries away for... Um, you know, keeping the starter healthy with the, the certain teams he's played with down the stretch. But he's a, he's another fascinating player. Did not realize that he had 1,600 yards one season. That kind of blows me away. But he's had some pretty okay numbers, like nine seasons over 1,000 yards. That's not something that I would have thought about without actually looking at his numbers. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm impressed. Uh, I don't think that he'll ever move higher than he is in the categories right now. I think he's third in rushing yards and might be also third in carries total. But, I mean, he's had just an, a decorated career. No, I think, you know, Frank Gore, much like um, Larry Fitzgerald, is one of those guys who you just have to look at the fact that he had an incredibly low floor throughout his entire career. And the one spot where he definitely has a leg up on AP was that Frank Gore caught the ball pretty well still, too. AP's hands were always uh, questionable at best. But Frank Gore, I mean, you look at, what is it? His 2006 season. Like, if you ever question if Frank Gore was considered one of the top running backs in the league at any point, you got to look at 06. Um, yeah. Just under 1,700 yards, eight touchdowns, and then another 61 catches, almost 500 yards, and another touchdown through the air. So there were times when Frank Gore at the top of the game really was uh, as dominant as any other player at the position. Uh, from from 2011 through 2014, he never had less than 1,106 yards. Um, he has just been so consistently, um, even like, honestly, up into his like mid thirties, he's still putting up not incredible numbers, but, but shockingly good numbers. Frank Gore is an easy hall of famer. Um, Frank Gore probably is underrated. Um, well, I don't want to say that. I think, I think longevity can be overrated depending on, um, like how it works out. Like, again, Frank Gore's numbers are definitely boosted from longevity, but he also had, he didn't have, like, crazy peaks like, say, Rob Gronkowski did. Um, he consistently was putting up good numbers. So I think his longevity is a really, really big um, uh, kind of point in his favor. But, yeah, I think, I mean, I'll be curious to see how much longer Frank Gore plays <laughs> to see how many more seasons he can um, be a part of a backfield. And I think especially now the NFL moving to this backfield by committee thing, has been nothing but good for him to continue to play now. But 
Um, what a what a fun player to watch, especially at his peaks. Like those San Francisco teams with with Colin Kaepernick and Vernon Davis, who was just a stupid fast tight end, uh, and Frank Gore and like a young. Um, oh gosh, who was there? They had one really good receiver on that team. Oh, okay. Anyways, yes, Frank Gore has been a ton of fun to watch. Um, I have a lot of respect for players who stay in one place for a long time. And even though he left San Francisco a while ago, um, I will always think of him as a Niner. You know, as he starts going to different teams, I start to lose that. Like for a long time, I've, I only thought of him as a Niner. And now I'm starting to, uh, it's starting to fade a little bit. You know, going from the 49ers, signing with the Eagles, but then backing out, then going to the Colts that offseason, um, then where? Then to the Dolphins, then the Bills, then the Jets. Is that the order of operations there? So, I mean, I sort of want to put a bet down with someone that he's going to play for the Patriots next year just to round out the AFC East and then he'll retire. But no, I, I completely agree with you. He's one of those guys that um, has just been so durable throughout the course of his career that it, it truly is impressive to be the, the age that he is and to have played as many healthy seasons as he has. So nothing but respect for Frank Gore. I think, again, he's one of those guys that you want to support. I saw a video of him on Twitter the other day, and it looks like a guy who's working you know, as an undrafted rookie, for example, he's, he's busting his butt and he's not going through the drills just to go through them. Like he's going through the drills to, you know, get to his peak essentially, right? Like to prove that he's worthy of a roster spot kind of thing. And I think seeing that, seeing the way he pushes himself um, in the off season is truly inspiring. He's just, he's one of those guys that if running backs can take after his mold and, you know, not necessarily be dominant in the later part of their career, but continue to play that, you know, backfield by committee that you're talking about, where you put up maybe 300 to 400 to 500 yards a year. Um, it'll be interesting to see if if his career sort of molds some of the the other running backs that we see right now. Uh, so I'm, I think I think he has the potential to do that, right? For other running backs to take a look at how his career has lasted as long as it has, and and try to mold that for themselves. So um, I, I I think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't think there's any doubt in that. I am a little bit skeptical as far as if I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, just because when we talk about that, you know, is he one of the greatest in his position group? I would personally say no. I mean, his numbers definitely prove that he is, but that, again, speaks to the longevity. So I don't think he he's in the top five greatest running backs of all time, but I think that he, he will be a Hall of Famer, maybe not a first ballot just because of that. And, uh, yeah, I'll welcome any criticism with that one. Yeah, no, I, I think that's he, – he's been great, and, and there's really no denying that. But, um, man, what a, what a group of players to talk about. Like, it, it's almost hard to believe that these are all guys who are very much nearing the end of their careers, but all have just been – so, 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 so fun to watch play. We've just seen so many highlights out of this list of guys. Um, so many big games and big moments making the plays that they had to make. And, like, for each and every one of them, I have, like, specific memories, specific highlights in mind from watching them play. And that's just a really cool thing to have. So if we were to go down this list and talk about one highlight you think of for each of these players... Um, what would it be for a couple? You've already mentioned it, right? For Jason Witten, you said that when his helmet comes off and he still continues to run down the field in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. But for for some of these other guys, what what highlight would you attach with their name? Um, like Larry Fitzgerald, it's either the um, the overtime playoff game against Green Bay a couple years back, where he had that really long almost touchdown and then the shovel pass to win it in overtime, or his big touchdown in the Super Bowl against the Steelers. Um, man, Julio Jones, there's a few just like crazy deep catches, but I think the one in that Super Bowl against the Patriots immediately comes to mind, just that beautiful uh, toe-tap sideline catch that he never should have made. Rob Gronkowski, it's either his, uh, his one-handed catch over the middle against the Broncos in, I want to say, 2013 or 14. Um, or his really nice one-hander against Miami just a couple of years ago. Oh, Travis Kelsey. Oh, no, or with Gronk, it was – which team was it against? I think – oh, I can't remember immediately who, but he broke like four tackles on a play. 
Um, the Bears. And there was there's a point in the play when he literally is just running with a guy on his back. Just like absolute domination. Um, oh, can I think of one for Travis Kelsey? Have I watched enough of his games? Probably not with Kelsey. Adrian Peterson, um, the run where he like almost broke the the record. Also just his like, the, the runs where he would just like break out, run over a guy and then run away from everyone, like his power or combination of power and speed. Um, and then Frank Gore, for some reason, a lot of the things I have in mind with him are him catching swing passes out of the backfield and making something happen. Like just his really underrated ability as a receiver. Hmm. And so right off the bat, I can't really think of any memories for Frank Gore. Like to me, he's just that consistent guy gets the ball quite a few times a game and, um, not too many dominant plays that I remember. Travis Kelsey, not too many dominant plays that come to mind. With Larry Fitzgerald, definitely that long catch in the Super Bowl against the Steelers, the first one that comes to mind um, easily. Julio Jones, there's a couple that come to mind. I, I, I more so think about his 200-yard games more than any specific highlight. Um, but yeah, that, that catch in the Super Bowl definitely pops out as well when I'm trying to think of, of different highlights. Um, Jason Witten, yeah, running down the, the, the field in Philadelphia with the helmet off. Um, Rob Gronkowski, I think his catch against the, the Rams in Super Bowl 53 stands out to me as well. And, and <laughs> I don't want to steal yours, but the Broncos catch over the middle too. Um, that one was just outstanding. His highlight where he's uh, throwing the guy from the Colts out of the club or um, breaking tackles against the Redskins and the Bears. I can't remember the, the specific seasons, but there's just so many highlights where he just runs through people, and it's incredible. Um, you can tell I've watched a lot of his highlights over the years. <laughs> and Adrian, Adrian Peterson, it's like there's far too many to mention, but that 296-yard game, um, maybe it's top of mind because I was watching something on social media earlier this week that was showing the highlights from that game. But yeah, just the way that he would cut, you know, if he made it to the sideline and just beat you with speed. Like, this is a guy that's built. He's solid. He's tough. But he was able to beat you down the field with speed like, you know, no one else. And, um, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of cool memories that are attached to these players. So it's kind of cool to reminisce about their careers. Well, they're not quite over yet. And with that, another episode of this series is done. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I think especially talking about these guys, we have a lot to look forward to, hopefully, in this year of football. I think of all the guys on the list, Fitz is the one who I would really love to see um, have a big year. I think you would – I didn't ever really think that he would get near Jerry Rice's record, but you drew that to my attention, and I kind of hope he gets it now. But, um, yeah, we'll have to see heading into this year what each of these players is going to do. All of them, I mean, still have the potential to just have a crazy star season we'd never expect, but – um, that's the NFL, so you never know. But we'll be back continuing our Predict the Career series. See you all again next week.